This morning we have two verses before us from Ephesians. And we're continuing on with what it means to put on the new man and put off the old man. And so I'm going to start again in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. This is God's word. It is eternally true. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him, And we're taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old man, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new man, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's ask for God's help this morning. Father, we pray this morning that my words would be true and right and that, Father, our hearts would be um, ready and willing to receive them. And, Father, that we would walk according to the good word. In Christ's name, amen. There's lots of different ways to look at this passage and see what Paul is doing here. So I've mentioned that it's kind of a reiteration of the Ten Commandments, the latter half of the Ten Commandments. There's also a way to look at this and realize that these things that Paul deals with are directly attributed to Satan throughout Scripture. Um, And so in various passages, uh, Satan is referred to as a liar and a murderer and a thief. And so you here have, speak the truth, don't be angry, which is a type of murder. And then the next one is, don't steal. And so there is very much an intentional grouping by Paul of particular commandments together in a way showing that this is, this is what is happening if you do these things. You are under the command, the power of the evil one, right? And so this is the way Paul is thinking, right? You can go all the way back. Uh, in Ephesians, in chapter 2, you were dead in the, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul is just reminding you that to walk as the old man walked is to walk in the way of Satan. To do these things is really, really, really bad. It's not just white lies. It's not just being a little bit bitter. It's not just being a little bit selfish. It's stealing, it's murder, and it's deceit. And those things belong to the old man, the one who followed the prince of the power of the air. But you, however, if you are in Christ, are a new man. And so you ought to put these things away. You ought to put them to death. So there's two different ways to look at these passages from Ephesians 4.17 onward. Uh, the Ten Commandments, and then the opposite would be Satan and his dominion. And you can kind of think about both of those at the same time. As we consider 
our passage today, verses 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil or give no foothold or place to the devil. Anger can sometimes be completely mistrewed as always and everywhere bad. In fact, that is the general consensus, especially excuse me, especially today, that it's never, ever, ever appropriate for anyone ever to get upset and to say, that's ridiculous, that's stupid, you ought not do that. In fact, if you do do that, you will pay the consequence. We've, we're told that that's an inappropriate thing to say ever to anyone for any reason. And yet anger is sometimes and very often a very good thing. Um, and so here... Paul does not say, never be angry and do not sin. He says, be angry and do not sin. I'm going to quote um, Art Lange, one of my favorite commentators, and he says, Anger, which is in God, is the energy of holy love against sin and corruption, disturbing and perverting moral order, and is justified in the Scriptures. It is affirmed of God more than 300 times, and it cannot be wrong of itself in man who is created in the image of God. It is rather a witness in the basic idea of active love in the surroundings of an unholy world. Loveless anger is as incorrect as angerless love. This is somewhat easier to understand when we think about extremes. So, If you think about it like this, if a man breaks into your house in the middle of the night with a gun and an axe and is in your child's bedroom with the axe raised, you should be mad. Not just polite, hey, what's with the axe? You know, can't we all just get along? You should be rightfully angry. And we can see it in that sort of an instance. We can see, yes, that is a place where anger is appropriate. It ought to be displayed with force, right? We can think of many different areas of our lives where it's like that. But sometimes it gets a little more difficult. And those things are where it's not so obvious, right? The axe isn't raised. There isn't a gun. There isn't imminent danger that we can see. And yet, anger against sin is godly anger, always, always. God hates sin, and that is, in fact, the whole reason that Christ came was to satisfy the anger and wrath of God against sin and those who do it. That's the basis of why salvation is necessary. We have sinned, therefore God is angry and his wrath is against us and we have to appease his wrath in order to be saved. This is why Christ came to die. And it is right and good that God is angry with sin. We, as God's image bearers, should be angry also at sin in various degrees. And sometimes we are good and right in our anger. Most often... We are good and right in our anger when we are angry with our own sins, the ones that we have done. This is where anger ought to be most peaked, most energetic, 
is when we look here and see ourselves and what we have done. That should make us angry at ourselves that we have done such things against our good God who bought us by his blood. That should make us upset. Anger is also a a necessary component to love. You caught that at the end. Loveless anger is antithetical to Christianity. But love has to have a side, which is angry, which is that idea of protection, right? Stopping the man with the axe is done in anger because you love the child sleeping in the bed. That is good anger. And yet... Our modern age, and and this is not just a modern problem, it is an old, old problem going all the way back to the Greek Stoics, coming up through Buddhism and coming up through Hinduism. All of those things, Stoicism, Hinduism, Buddhism say, emotion, like anger, is the bad thing. And so you just suppress it and then all will be well. You just push it down and you don't feel it. And then that's good. But that's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, when our Lord was here, when He was present on the earth, He said, and He looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, man, stretch out your hand. And He stretched it out, and His hand was restored. When Christ was confronted with particular sins by particular men, He was angry at them particularly. Anger is not always bad. And if you are never angry, you are not rightly thinking about yourself or the world. Sin should make you angry. Now, the problem is, because we know that sin is not, that anger is not necessarily sinful, We tend to go overboard in our anger and become sinful in it. And this is where the problem actually lies. What generally happens is we are not usually very angry with ourselves in our sin, but with the other guy in his sin, either in a personal relationship or in a very distant relationship. This is why the news makes so much money. News thrives on making people angry. It's what it does. Makes you angry at things you cannot control and have no say in somewhere else across the world, across state lines, across town, something you had no involvement in. They've put in front of you so that you will be mad because they know that anger stirs up and is easy to sell to because your emotions are peaked. And so this is the way that news has thrived, not just modern news, but throughout history. Anger is the medium of news. It's always been that way. This is how wars were fought, right? So what you do when you need to raise an army is you give news. And what is that news? Those guys over there are really bad. They've done bad things. You should be angry about the bad things those guys over there have done. And you should come up with us and you should go kill those bad guys because they've done bad things. News is often a medium for making us angry. Angry about things that we have no say in. And this is most likely sinful anger. 
It can be righteous. You can be upset and watching the news righteously. But more often than not, you begin to grow callous and bitter in many different things that Scripture condemns against those who are in the news. So, for instance, because of this sort of thing, it becomes very, 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 very difficult to obey commands like this. First of all, first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now think about the news and think about whoever you particularly dislike who is a king or a person of high authority and think about how the news helps you obey that command to give thanks and to pray for and to make supplication for. The reality is What the news does instead is cause you to be angry against that person and not want to pray for them or give thanks to them or supplicate for them at all because you despise them. You hate them. And that is why, throughout Scripture, anger is a form of murder. Right? This is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who explicitly made it clear that that is what Thou shalt not murder meant. Because very few of us will ever pick up a rock and destroy a man with it. Where did I put it? Matthew 5.22 in the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Do we think about our sinful anger with that sort of vehemence? Do we look at our own anger in the way we despise those around us and hate our sin and say, our anger here is bad? No, instead, we usually are mad at them and are angry with them and kind of feed the anger. And that's really what... Paul is getting out when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? He's, he's saying the longer you let anger fester, the longer you let this despisement in your heart for people sit there, the worse it gets. It does not grow better with time. You don't get less bitter over time. If you nurse that anger, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it explodes, and families are split, and friends are split. And in the case of our text, churches, right? So you remember all of this in the context of brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not speak falsely to one another, but instead tell the truth, for you are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not give the devil a foothold. This is in the context of a church. This is common common in churches. Something happens, you get a little bit angry. 
Something else happens, you add it to the anger list. Something else happens, you add it to the anger list. Something else happens in the bitterness, the anger, the resentment. It grows and grows and grows and grows until it, at once it explodes and everybody gets dirty in the mess, right? This is the way that anger works. It is not friendly to you or to anyone else. It's needlessly against other people. It forgets the fact that we too, I too, you too, are a sinner in need of constant forgiveness from God and other people. Anger at its root is based on the fact that we don't know ourselves very well. That we think the other person's sins are greater than our own all the time. And yet, Scripture is very clear that that is a bad way to think. Brothers, this is Galatians 6. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. We tend to think when we see particular sins in other people personally or on the news, that we would never, ever do those particular things. And then we get a little bit self-righteous, and so our anger becomes justified. We think, I would never do that, therefore it's a particularly bad sin, therefore I can be angry with them in a way that I wouldn't be normally. And that can be anything, right? So particular things that irritate yours truly, that I have to watch myself on a daily basis about. There's a four-way stop that I have to go through every single day, no matter which way I leave my house. Okay? If I go south, four-way stop. If I go north, four-way stop. Now, I've been driving now for uh, 23 years. I've been a commercial driver for 13 years. I know how four-way stops ought to work. And I'm not sure I've ever pulled up to one in my entire adult life where there are other people present where it has functioned as it should. And... I immediately get angry. That person, no, go ahead. And I'm like, you were there 30 seconds before me. You would already be through the thing. Go! That's what happens. That's what happens. Every time, every day, 7 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock at night, doesn't matter. Going from my house, going back to my house, every single day, that's a war that I have to fight every day. And I say that because we can all like laugh because it's so ridiculous and we know that nobody should really get that mad at a four-way stop. But this is the reality that we all face in many different areas in your life. And I don't know all the particulars for you, but I know many of the particulars for me. And they're all just as absurd. Right? The guy who waves you through, is he waving me through to make me mad? No. He is actually trying to be a kind person. And I am immediately irritated that he would do such a thing as to delay my going through a stop sign by three seconds. One second, half a second, a millisecond. Doesn't matter. I'm mad. This is how anger works. Because I think in my head, I would never, I would never use a four-way stop incorrectly. I would follow the law and things would go smoothly and we could have 500 cars and they would all go through just as quick as you could want. We'd all know exactly what we're doing. And then you know what happens. God, in his funny ways, will humble you when you begin to really have these sorts of angry thoughts. Like he has done it to me at times when I've 
rolled down the hill into 30th Street and stopped and just went and they get a because I missed the other car at the intersection and pulled out in front of them. And then I realized I, too, do not use these things correctly and have just as much, more often than not, sin in the moment as this guy. Now, let's pull it back into things that actually matter a little bit more. Is it right to be angry when someone sins against you? Yes. Yes. Where does sin come in, though, with anger? It's the point at which it goes from that person has offended an almighty God and has harmed me or my family in some way to I am now the judge I am the avenger. I know the perfect way to deal with this person in this particular instance. And that is the point at which we go from possibly righteous anger to surely sinful anger. When we make the switch from that was wrong and offended both God and man to I know exactly how one ought to be dealt with who does this. And I could be the perfect purveyor of justice in this instance. I know exactly how to do it. And this is what God says to us in that. This is in Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then I skipped the verse in the middle on accident. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here is the point at which quite possibly righteous anger switches into sinful anger. And if you don't recognize that switch, you will begin to dwell in sinful anger. The sun will go down and you will feed the fires. You have to realize that there are times at which you have the possibility to exact justice, right? So if someone has broken into your home with an axe and has attempted to murder your family, you call the police, you press charges, hopefully the man goes to prison or is in some way otherwise punished, and you trust God that in the end, even if justice was not served on this earth, that it will be perfectly served when we all meet him. That there is no crime ever committed on the face of the planet that will not be perfectly dealt with by a holy, righteous, wrath-filled God. Either on the person themselves in hell or fully dealt with in Christ for us and our salvation so that we do not have to taste hell. This is the difference, right? That switch. Righteous anger, because it is sinful and offends God and man, 
I know the, I know, I, I'm the, that's the point. That's, that's righteous into unrighteous, into sin. And this happens in an instant. It happens when we forget ourselves. And it becomes things like bitterness, disdain. The Apostle John, in his first letter, writes this. We know we have passed out of death into life. It's old man, new man. Old creation, new creation. Out of death into life. We have done it. Because we love the brothers, the church. Whoever does not love abides in death, is in the old man. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hates his brother. Hates his brother. Says, you fool. I despise you. This thing, sinful anger, is very dangerous to the body of Christ. Very dangerous to the body of Christ because it gives the devil a foothold. And what does the devil do with any foothold given to him? Well, he takes every bit of it. He has been a murderer, Jesus says, since the beginning. Since the beginning. Well, think back to what, he, what Jesus means by the beginning. Did Satan murder Adam and Eve physically? Nope. Cain murdered Abel physically with a rock or a stick or something or choked him. We don't really know. But he physically did it. Satan did not physically murder Adam and Eve. And yet Jesus says he is a murderer and he has been since the beginning. What does he mean? Satan, knowing the end knowing what he was actually doing, understanding the consequences of his temptation, murdered Adam and Eve. Murdered them. Because he hated them. He despised them. He wanted to see the relationship between God and man crumpled. This is what happens when anger happens and is not done away with in a way that pleases God. It becomes this all-consuming thing, and destruction is the only answer that it has. And it doesn't matter who is destroyed. It doesn't matter how many people are destroyed. It doesn't matter if they're related to the problem, if they're destroyed. Anger, if it is not kept in check, will destroy the world, and it will murder all of mankind. It is a particularly wicked sin in the church. Particularly wicked. If you jump forward just a few verses, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And instead be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Tender. Forgiving. This is the mark of the Christian. This is the mark of Christ in us. That instead of becoming bitter, we forgive. 
instead of holding things against one another, we are glad, glad, glad to overlook an offense, right? Proverbs. It is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. It's his glory. What is glory? The crown, right? The dress for the bride. It is, you look at them and you go, that is mag- they look magnificent. And we ought to look at one another and go, you are magnificent that you could forgive. And we ought to not give any foothold to the devil. So we have now two different uh, reasons Paul has given us so far as to why we ought not to do things. We ought not to be deceitful with one another because we are members of one another. And we ought not to, lo- ought not to be sinfully angry because it gives the devil a foothold. These are both devastating arguments to us. Because what happens oftentimes if you're confronted and you're angry with someone and someone says, I think maybe you're a little, a little much on the anger side. And you go, I am not. You know, duh, they got this. They did this. They've done that. And you've got this, you know, roll it out, goes to the window, you know, list you, got, you, you know everything they've ever done. And when someone confronts you and says, I think you're just bitter. You go, I'm not bitter. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah you are. Um, and the, the answer to that is not to say to someone, stop being bitter. It's to say, you're giving the devil a foothold. It's to level up the intensity of what's happening. We tend to think that the way to dispel sin in one another is to be very soft about it, right? Okay, you've done this thing. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal that you're that bitter. It's, it's just no big deal. It's not that big of a deal that you deceived. Don't worry about it. And Paul does not soften it. He doesn't say it's no big deal. He says if you lie to one another, it's as if you're chopping apart your body, you're members of one another. You lie to each other, you're going to die. You, if the eye refuses to tell the body that there's a wall or a cliff, the body dies. Don't deceive. And then in regards to anger, he says, if you, if you are angry, the devil himself will gain a foothold in your church, in your life. He doesn't soften the thing and say, oh, it's, I know you're angry. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe just work on it. He says, listen, if you continue to be angry, Satan will get a hold of you and he will drag you to hell with him. That's how big of a deal this is. Now, why does he do this? Why such leveling up of things? It's because we often think that sin is really not that big of a deal. Our own sin, sin in the church, sin in our families. We tend to think that everybody sins, everybody makes mistakes. And so, you know, that's the way to deal with it. Just, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. How do we know it's a big deal? The blood of Christ was necessary to atone for it. Every bitterness, anger, clamor, lie, deceit. 
sin, even as a Christian, is a big deal. Think about this. Just for a moment, if you can imagine with me, knowing that Christ has suffered once for all. You knowing that, and you being able to transport yourself back in time, when you are at peak anger, sinfully bitter, and you see the blows, and the crown, and the blood, and the death, and the stench of Christ. And you go, well, I'm still mad. No, if you're a Christian, it's crippling to your sin to realize it caused the death of the Son of God. And so it is actually more painful and odious to sin as a Christian than it is to sin when you are not. Because you know, you know, you know the stripes that bear your name. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Not because it's just bad, but because it just obviously makes no sense. It is odious. It is a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. You are a new man. Why would you do the things that put Christ upon the cross continuously and think nothing of them? Be grieved. So that the Spirit of God is not grieved. And remember, the help to you when you are angry righteously and you are flipping over into sinful. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. He will repay. This is the same thing that Christ did when he was on the cross. It says he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Knowing that every single whip and scourge and spit and mocking and beating and beard plucking and nail driven and, you know, all of that. Every single bit of it, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. We too, we too can do the same because we are made like him. He has given us the spirit which was in him. The spirit of Christ dwells within us. And so we can also say to those who spurn and mock and scourge, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. This is our, not just our duty as a Christian, it is our joy as a Christian. It adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ when we do this. This is most important in the body of the church which is the representation of God to the world, that we not be torn apart by anger, that we not be torn apart by deceit. Because then we are no different than the world. The light that should be shining is out. It is dark. That's why it is such a, this, uh, a sad event when churches are split. You are a new creation, so therefore put on the new man and put off the old.